with a desire for making a difference at an exponential scale. Our next guest is passionately bringing empathy, transparency, and intelligence to every patient touchpoint outside the hospital. Dr. Adam Silverman, Chief Medical Officer at Syllable, joins us to discuss how he and his team are helping healthcare providers remove communication barriers between patients and the care they need through conversational AI. By alleviating accessibility burdens on patients, Dr. Silverman shares why Syllable is now the leading healthcare call center solution for a frictionless end-to-end experience. Join us to discover how Dr. Silverman and the Syllable team are helping providers communicate with patients using artificial intelligence. Let's go. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Silverman, I have been waiting for quite some time to finally say this, a big, big welcome to our podcast, my friend. Oh, Mike, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, given your passion and expertise to offer empathy, transparency, and intelligence to every patient touchpoint outside the hospital, I'm really excited to have this important conversation today. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, please visit the bottom of the episode notes to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Clubhouse in order to further the conversations occurring on this podcast. All right, Adam, it's almost time for our community to learn how you and the Syllable team help healthcare providers communicate with their patients using artificial intelligence. But first, what's that one piece of advice that you would give to others who are passionate about reimagining the health of our world? Mike, it's pretty clear for me that really the most important thing that innovators need to be able to do is to get shit done. There are too many people out there that just want to talk and they don't want to do. And I've been doing this long enough that I've got a pretty good sense of who those people are. The answers are out there to uh, sort of paraphrase Mulder and Scully in X-Files. Now, I really think that, you know, there are people that talk about bright, shiny objects. There are people that actually execute and make things happen. And to me, if I have to define what innovation is, and I think anybody who's passionate about reimagining healthcare is going to be considered an innovator, that innovation really equals execution. I love it. You came out the gates hard in a good way. I absolutely love this, Adam, because you're spot on. You can sit there and talk and talk and talk and talk, and then nothing gets done. At the end of the day, you need to go out there, try some things. And here's what I love is also trying things and being ready and celebrating even failure. It's okay. You have to go try it out. If it fails, kill it, kill it fast. But if you find success while you're out there, you're getting some shit done. That's when you pour the gasoline on it. That's when you test it even more, try it out on others, making sure that obviously there's a good product market fit. But at the end of the day, Adam, I couldn't agree more. You can sit there and talk and hypothesize all you want, but at the end of the day, you need to get out there and get it done. Have you practiced that not only, of course, with your time at Syllable, but has that been something that you've kind of lived by throughout your career, even as a physician, 
making sure you're getting out there and executing? Yeah. I mean, when I first started practice in the mid to late 90s, I was really attracted to broken processes. And we didn't have a science in healthcare of process improvement at that time. People weren't talking about Jemba Walks and Six Sigma and Lean. It was even just before they started talking about process improvement as a discipline. And I just was drawn to, to problems and I like to solve problems. Part of that is I think my training as being a general internist, you were sort of given you know, a broad tool belt and toolbox to fix problems. Usually those problems are people, but people exist within some sort of organizational structure and organizations frequently have processes that don't make a whole lot of sense. So yeah, I was drawn at an early part of my career to really begin to address some of those issues, whether it was patient specific, seeing something that didn't make sense, like waking patients up in the middle of the night to do vital signs, or in how we train medical students and residents in terms of giving them opportunities to practice scenarios before they actually get into a patient care situation. Healthcare is full of see one, do one, teach one. Sometimes that works, but if you're the patient and the person that comes in to do the procedure says, I saw one and I did one, and now I'm going to teach the guy next to me to do one, it doesn't necessarily generate a whole lot of confidence in the process. Well, and speaking of, we're going to go back just a couple of comments there because you've teed me up perfectly. I'm really looking forward to unpacking all the wonderful things happening at Syllable and more importantly, the problems you and the team are solving at Syllable after we get back from thanking our community champion sponsor. Located in Denver, Colorado's nationally ranked River North District, Catalyst is a healthcare innovation campus that brings together stakeholders from across the industry to accelerate innovation and drive real, lasting change our nation desperately needs. From established organizations to startups, from accelerators to advocacy organizations, and from medical schools to global companies, everyone at Catalyst works side by side to create, develop, refine, and bring to market cutting-edge innovations that will fundamentally transform healthcare as we know it. With industry leaders like Medical Group Management Association, Olive, Medical Solutions, UC Health, Cirrus MD, and many others calling Catalyst home, along with innovative pioneers visiting from across the nation, Catalyst continually fosters their foundational belief that collaboration and partnerships will move the healthcare industry forward. To virtually tour Catalyst and claim your space on campus or host an upcoming event, visit CatalystHealthTech.com or visit the top of the episode notes and click on their link. All right, we are back with Dr. Adam Silverman, Chief Medical Officer at Syllable. Adam, you teed us up on the front end perfectly. Getting it done. Making sure you're executing and delivering solutions in the marketplace. I can't wait for our community to learn about Syllable. Very fortunate here, Olive and Syllable, we're partnered up doing some incredible things as Olive continues her march to create the Internet of Healthcare. Fired up about that. I've been fortunate along that journey to hang out and spend time with you personally. I uh, have been just enjoying the ride that you and the team at Syllable have been on and being able to see the things that you guys are building. But you know as well as I do, this stuff doesn't happen overnight. You've been with Syllable now for a number of years. Syllable was founded even a couple of years before you joined the team and got together with them. So I want to talk about how did that come together? How did you find Syllable? How did they find you? How did you join the team? What were you doing before Syllable? How did a practicing physician like you jump into a high growth tech company? We're going to unpack all of that. We're also going to go into current state. What's happening in the Syllable camp? What should we be mindful of also where things are heading? 
not just for syllable, because you guys are in a big and an important space, but for the industry as well, especially with your unique position as that trained physician, been there, done that kind of thing, but where you're seeing things heading for our industry and with syllable. And of course, how are we going to be helping you? But let's first start. How did this all come together? How did you become the chief medical officer at syllable? It's been a wild ride. I'll tell you that. So I practiced for 30 years. I spent 30 years on the provider side before coming to syllable. I divide my career into three tranches. I spent 10 years essentially in private practice, took a detour to academic medicine for 10 years where I was a division chief, was a clinician educator, a hospitalist, a primary care physician. And then I spent 10 years of what you would probably call as a physician executive, most of that time working at a Trinity Health-owned regional health system in Hartford, Connecticut. And when I was there, I did a lot of work about primary care transformation a lot on digital health and digital innovation, because that was the early 2010s when that was really starting to become a real popular topic for health systems to begin to you know, reimagine their digital front door. And I also did a lot of work around accountable care and value-based health care. So I sort of look at it as I've had this progression in my career where I started with small problems and graduated to bigger problems as they presented themselves. I've done it in private practice, I've done it in an academic situation, and I've done it you know, in a community-based health system that was owned by a national provider. And it's been a great ride. I mean, I tell people, if I'm mentoring medical students or residents, I said, I tell them, I came out of practice and I expected to have one job for the rest of my life. I don't know why, but I think that at that time, that was sort of what most physicians did. They opened a practice, they worked in that practice for the rest of their life, and they died in that practice. And if they were lucky, one of the kids came in and they took it over and they continued the legacy. But it took me 30 years to realize that I get bored after about 10 years. And I couldn't figure out why I was getting bored until I actually made this transition to syllable. And I think the reason that I get bored is because my learning curve flattens out. You know, I spend enough time in either an environment or with a discipline and I get very excited about it. And it's not until I feel like, not that I've necessarily mastered the competency, but at least where I'm, the pace at which I'm learning something new really starts to level off. And that's when I start to look for something else. And that was part of my transition to syllable. But I think the bigger impact on me that made me sort of step back and say, you know, do I really want to continue to do this was the fact that through my value-based work, my accountable care work, where we're really trying to reduce the cost of care and improve outcomes, I had a hard time really convincing my clinical colleagues and my administrative colleagues to hop on the bandwagon. We spent a good long time trying to educate people about, you know, the broken business model of healthcare, the fee-for-service business model, the volume over value business model that just, you know, has a misaligned set of incentives. And I woke up one morning and I just sort of said, I just can't keep doing this. But I didn't know what else I could keep doing. Was it just transitioning to a more, quote unquote, innovative health system? Was it moving to the payer side? Was it getting out of healthcare altogether and, and doing something completely different? I didn't really know. So I did a bit of a walkabout. And I just started calling people and telling them my story and asking for advice. And Part of that walkabout was meeting a woman by the name of Esther Dyson. Esther Dyson may be well known to a lot of your listeners. She's a sort of a social entrepreneur, a tech investor. She spent a lot of time writing about technology before she started investing in it. And her current project is something called Wellville. And she is trying to help underserved communities, five underserved communities around the United States, develop the competency to be healthy communities. 
And because of my work in community health and population health, she and I started a conversation and, and I called her and I said, you know, here's my story. Here's what I'm looking to do. Can I send you my resume? Thinking the last thing she wanted is, you know, somebody else knocking on her door saying, can you help me? And I made that very clear up front. I'm like, listen, I feel really weird doing this. I don't want to overstay my welcome. But I sent her my resume by email and within 20 minutes, she called me and she said, I think I can do two good deeds with one introduction. And she introduced me to the CEO of Syllable, Cobus Eust. And she said, I'm going to introduce you to this company that I've invested in. They're a healthcare technology company, but they don't have any healthcare experience. And I said, hold on. You've invested your own hard-earned money in a company that is doing something in an industry for which it has no primary experience. And she goes, yeah, welcome to Silicon Valley. And that was the beginning of my education and the beginning of my drinking through a fire hose on a daily basis. So in July of 2019, basically moved from, you know, practicing physician, physician executive to a healthcare startup. And I just sort of said, you know, people change jobs every day. And then when it was suggested that I relocate to the West Coast, I'm like, sure, people move for a job all the time. Why is that such a big deal? But when I got to the West Coast and started getting phone calls from my friends, they were saying, you know, that was really brave of you. And I'm like, why is this really brave? They're like, well, you went to work for a startup. The longevity of startups is relatively low. It's only a few that actually make it out of the gate and actually become something. And at your age, most people don't pack up the 10 stakes and move cross country. And I said, okay, but I've done it. So let's get into it and see what this is all about. So that's how I got where I was. Oh my gosh. There's so many uh, parallels and through lines there that got me fired up hearing that, Adam. First and foremost, huge fan of Esther Dyson. She's incredible. Her work with Wellville and all that is incredible. I mean, and this is how small the world is. As you may know, I'm also an owner of Catalyst, a healthcare innovation campus in Denver, Colorado. She had an offsite here a number of years ago, and I was just absolutely just, you know, fanning over all of these amazing minds she brought together yeah. for this offsite and completely honored to be able to host it on my campus. And yeah, I've been a huge fan of hers and her thinking, her, you know, her writing and the way she looks at healthcare. And you just nailed it, Adam. I mean, here she was. Of course, you always hear as well, people invest in people, not necessarily a company. And she laid some bets down on a CEO, your CEO, who right. is unbelievable. And we can get into that too. I mean, he's just an incredible leader and just a, an amazing, amazing entrepreneur and technologist. But yeah, huge three lines there. I love your story. I also lived in the Bay Area for a number of years. So, you know, you're teeing us up perfectly, Adam, for the larger conversation about Syllable. But I do have to ask before we talk about what is Syllable, what you guys are working on, how was going into digital health, health technology? And I asked that because you mentioned, you know, on the front end that there you were, you know, while in practice, you were, you know, as a physician, as a provider, you were figure out how to leverage technology, how to leverage digital health. Were you always a fan of it? Were you a skeptic turned fan? What did that look like with your journey as a physician and somebody that also, you know, trained residents, all that? Were you always positive and always bullish on technology or was it a journey? What was that like before you jumped into the tech space full time, your experience and what your thoughts were on digital health? Unvarnished, you know, don't be shy. Right. Feel free to share the good, the bad and the ugly. So I'm somewhere between a Luddite and an early adopter. And it's not that I don't appreciate technology. I do. I'm practical and I describe myself as a cynical realist. So somebody sells me something that 
is, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I question whether it really is the greatest thing. And to me, you've got to prove to me that it's actually going to do something for me, either make my life easier, make something more efficient, make something cheaper, and that it's easy for me to use. And then I'll adopt it. I mean, I'm teachable, you know, coming to work for a technology company with my self-effaced level of technological prowess. It was a challenge to sometime, I think, for my CEO, especially when they were switching from MS Office to G Suite and Slack to Teams to chat and WebEx to Zoom. But I figured it out. I got there after a while. So, you know, to me, they're tools, whether it's technology or it's truly a physical tool that I use in my day-to-day work, it doesn't matter, but it's either, it's got to solve a problem for me or for the people that I'm working with. And before, again, we're going to go there in just a moment about Silva, I got to ask you because you teed it yeah. up perfectly. You did some big things that people are, I don't know how else to say, some people would be petrified to do what you did. You know, you trained your entire life to be this leading provider, this leading clinician. You go across the country, move to Silicon Valley. I mean, those are big, big moves. You're 100% correct. With that, I have to ask, what was the coolest thing about all of that? And what was the scariest thing about all of that? Well, I couldn't have done it without a lot of support. And so I've got to give a shout out to my wife, Kim, because there was no way that we were going to pack our life up. She was born and raised in Connecticut. We were living in Connecticut and we're moving across the country. So that wasn't going to happen without her. So the coolest thing was that it made us stronger as a family and not just between she and I, but we have a blended family of five kids and everybody in some way partook in this journey that I was going through, which was pretty cool. Most of them are, you know, not most of them, they're all between 22 and 35. And so they got to follow along and I hope that it was a good example to them as they think about their career to see that, you know, their dad was willing to risk something and that nothing bad happened in the interim, (laughs) knock on wood. Um, So that was really important. What was cool for me was that I got to, I got to go through this job search with a very simple set of needs. I had two things that I wanted and I encourage anybody, if you're thinking about changing jobs, you can't just do it willy nilly. You have to have a thesis or you have to have a wish list, or you have to, in some sort of true north that will, because you'll get lots of offers. And when you're in the midst of looking for a job, particularly if you're unhappy where you are, every job sounds better. So how not to jump at the first job? You need to have a set of criteria. And the two things that were most important to me as I looked is I wanted to be able to work with really smart people and I wanted to make a difference at scale. I mean, as a physician, every time you walk into a patient room or you see a patient in the office, you have an opportunity to make a difference. And we make a difference every day, but it's not exponential. There's not the ability to be exponential. And, you know, I had done that for 30 years and that was satisfying to me. But what I wanted to be able to do is I wanted to be able to work with a group of people to tackle a really big problem and to make a dent in that really big problem. And that's really what we have an opportunity to do at Syllable. All right, speed round, because there's two parts to that, the speed round to get going, so then we'll get to syllable. What was the scariest thing? (sighs) The scariest thing, so I, like many people, have a fairly robust imposter complex where I wake up every day and I say, how did I get, they're going to find out today that I really don't know what I'm talking about. And the next day I wake up, somebody's going to call me and say, you're full of shit, or they're going to call bullshit on me. And so 
I was comfortable in medicine because I knew it. Here I am coming to a technology company. Here I am coming to a company where the average age is, you know, is probably high 20s, low 30s, and I'm in my mid 50s. And I wanted to be relevant. And I was afraid that I would not be relevant to this group of people. So that was my biggest fear. Well, thanks for sharing that authenticity. It's important, right? It's important yeah, to call it absolutely. out and share it with others. Nothing wrong with that. And, you know, if we've learned anything over these past couple of years of the pandemic, there's nothing wrong with living your true authentic self and, you know, sharing that with others. Nothing wrong. It's with not all. all roses and unicorn. I nope. mean, you know, there's real life out there and I know other people feel the same way and have similar experiences. So I think it's beneficial to talk about it. Absolutely. Well, bravo. All right. Well, now we're getting to the point we're going to talk about syllable. So, you know, a lot of startups, they have those elevator pitches down. You've now been with syllable for over three years. That's an awesome ride with a startup. And you guys are, you know, as I love to say, just getting going, you're really starting to hit on all cylinders. You guys are doing unbelievable work in the marketplace and some significant traction. So with that, Adam, because you are all in now in the startup scene, whether you like it or not. So going to put you on the spot. Give us that elevator pitch. What is Syllable? Yeah. So Syllable is a conversational AI company who's dedicated to expediting a patient's access to care. We are focused clearly and primarily on the patient and the patient experience. We solve that problem for patients where they have access issues with health systems and with providers. So we become sort of the easy button for patients to access care or access information about care. So today we are a voice-based conversational AI. We answer the phone call for large health systems and we're the first voice that a lot of patients hear. And the first question we ask them is, how can I help you? And whether they're looking to be transferred to a department, they're looking for a specific doctor, they want to make an appointment, they want to refill a prescription, or they want to find out what are the hours of the gift shop, our artificial intelligence is able to surface that information and provide that information to the caller. In addition, we're able to automate a number of transactional workflows. So that's always been the biggest problem in healthcare is we're a phone-based industry. Eight out of nine patients choose to connect with their health system or the provider of choice on the phone, despite tens of billions of dollars of money spent on the so-called digital front door. It turns out that most people are coming through the analog back door and can't even find it to the digital front door. So that's why we're focused on the telephone where we want to meet patients where they are. It's not where we started. My mom, when I told my mother what I was doing, going to the West Coast, she thought I was going to work for a digital health company. When I told her what we were doing, she said, I didn't send my son to medical school to run a telephone company. And she's absolutely right. That was not our goal. But you know what? That's where the problem is. And that's where the patients are. And anybody that's called a doctor's office or called a health system knows how difficult it is to get information and to get even a simple transfer to a destination is fraught with trouble. First of all, 30% of phone calls are abandoned. So nobody picks up the phone. Only 40% of the ones that get through have their needs resolved. And it takes sometimes three or four transfers to get to the appropriate destination. And if you want to schedule an appointment on the telephone, it's almost impossible. So you can't, it's hard to get the information you want. It's hard to get accurately to the destination where you want to get to. And it's almost impossible to complete a transaction. So what Syllable wants to do is it wants to be able to help health systems deliver that level of customer experience, the customer experience that we've all gotten used to in the rest of our consumer lives. And we want to do it reliably and we want to do it in a way that is pleasing to patients by doing it in a much more efficient and effective manner. A lot of questions to ask out of all of that, Adam. Thank you for teeing it up. And it's true, right? You got to go where the problem is, right? Right. 
we can sit there as innovators and as entrepreneurs and build in a vacuum and, you know, build a product and then try to go and find a home for it. But who cares what we think, right? At the end of the day, what does the market need? What is the problem that needs to be solved? Go solve that. And that's exactly what you guys, you mentioned it, you pivoted, you didn't start where you are today, but that's where you found the problem and you're going to go and solve for it and create the product that can solve for that need. So bravo. So with that, I got a couple of questions because there was a lot there to unpack. First and foremost, you hear it time and again. So I'm going to devil's advocate you yep. right here time and again. Oh, well, you know, Dr. Silverman, I want to talk to you directly. I don't want to talk to a machine. I don't want to talk to a robot. I want to talk to a human. Is the sentiment within healthcare and for patients slash consumers, is it changing that they're okay with this experience? So maybe go ahead and answer that devil's advocate that we hear a lot of. I want to talk to Dr. Silverman. I want to talk to Mike, his assistant now. So the way that that question gets put to us in the sales cycle is a health system executive or director will say, our patients don't want to talk to a computer. Our brand is dependent upon human to human interaction. And we think that's the only way to honor that brand. And I simply say to them, is it showing somebody respect and is it honoring the brand to give somebody an experience where 60% of the experiences go unmet where it takes 10 minutes to actually begin the experience. Or if you're a new patient, it can take upwards of 30 minutes of the patient's time and add to that 30 minutes of the human being employed by the health system's time to schedule a new patient appointment. That to me isn't respectful. That to me isn't honor. If we want to honor our customers, we develop for them the most efficient methodology of getting done what it is that they want to get done. And sometimes that requires a human being. But what have we done on the health system side? We have taken that notion that it requires human to human contact and we hire legions of human beings to do jobs. We put them in a windowless call center and we give them minimal training and we tell them to have at it, pick up the phone and see what you can do to answer patients' needs. And it just leads to such an awful patient experience that anything that we can do, whether it's Syllable or Olive or any other automation company, is we can take off the low-hanging fruit from the plates of these human workers. And we can actually honor our workforce by giving them work that's appropriate for a human to do and handing work that's appropriate for a computer to the computer to do. And that is not dishonoring. That is actually showing a great deal of respect to patients. Yeah, as we like to say, you know, our teams at, uh, at Olive and Syllable, we hang out a lot together. So you've probably heard this time and again, it's unleashing that human potential of our healthcare workers, right? You, you just mentioned it, take that low-hanging fruit off of their plate, help them level up and accomplish even more meaningful work in their day-to-day and honoring that healthcare worker. And then like you said as well, that opportunity to honor those patients, those consumers with your, you know, quote unquote, brand of your health system. So perfectly set up, Adam, I appreciate it. I also have to ask for a lot of our listeners that are still kind of newer to their artificial intelligence journey, learning about this. What does it mean for them, whether they're an entrepreneur or a health system or an executive at a payer type organization? Adam, you know, one thing about AI that uh, we've all been learning is that it gets smarter over time with the data. How does that work in this environment when it's leveraging voice? How does that work in regards to the engines at Syllable to get smarter over time to be even of more value to that patient? How does that look? Yeah, it's not based on the input. The input can be voice or the input can be text. 
actually all of our voice input is translated into text and that's what gets fed into the algorithms. So the algorithms get smarter based on the outcomes of their actions. So as they learn about a health system, as they learn when somebody says that I'm looking for Dr. Silverman, and then somebody says, I'm looking for Dr. Silverman in internal medicine, or I'm looking for Dr. Silverman, the hospitalist, it's the capacity of the computer to be able to link me to three different roles that makes it a more efficient. So if somebody says, I'm looking for Dr. Silverman, the hospitalist, it knows that that's Dr. Silverman, the primary care physician, or Dr. Silverman, the physician executive. And when it's correct, when it gets to the right destination, it knows it. And so it gets positive reinforcement from that. If it ends up with an outcome that isn't appropriate for a particular request, then it learns that that was inappropriate. And then it has some circumstances where it can learn on its own. And then it has some circumstances where we feed it the correct information on the back end so that it doesn't make that mistake. So over time, it becomes much more effective and efficient and accurate. Excellent. Thanks for that. And back to the Luddite comment earlier, that's a physician's description of artificial intelligent learning. You'd have to talk to Cobus to get the real skinny on how that works. Well, you know, there's a lot of amazing physicians out there that are of the same camp. So you nailed it. Have no fear at all. And of course, hey, we might need to do a part two with Cobus. Nothing, nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Get the other side of that definition from an amazing, amazing technologist, by the way. He's phenomenal. So Adam, I also, you know, I also have to ask, we talked about the naysayers a bit ago on why, you know, I need to talk to a human and, and you elegantly laid out the reasons why that we should be looking and considering these types of technologies that Syllable offers for our industry. Let's go to the evangelists, if you will, the folks that are customers of Syllable, the leaders that totally understand or are bought in and seeing the power of this. You know, we can talk all we want about how cool our technology is. At the end of the day, you know as well as I do, that doesn't mean squat. What matters the most is, is the end user using it. What's the feedback been from the end user of, of the Syllable technology? So it's been extremely positive because we, from day one, we automate a significant number of their interactions. So on the first day that we turn on our phone assistant, we're answering 50% of the, of the phone calls, independent of a human being. So on day one, half of the incoming call center volume is no longer coming into the call center because Syllable is managing it on behalf of the health system. Within about three months, that automation rate raises to about 75%. So the systems that are using us are extremely happy with that. And they're coming to us with additional use cases. So we're a data first company. The main reason that somebody is calling a frontline call center is because they want to get somewhere. So just being able to do that simple transfer without involving a human being is important. But then the other things that people are looking for, which I mentioned earlier, which they're looking to complete transactions. So Similar to the way that Olive starts to add on additional functionality, Syllable adds on additional functionality based on our customers' use cases. So they want us to develop an automated scheduling solution so that somebody can do that in their pajamas on a Sunday at, uh, you know, at 10 a.m. With when the call center is closed or when the practice is closed. And we're going to develop that workflow for them. And we're going to develop a pleasing interface for the system users so that they can achieve what they want out of that particular interaction. So exciting. And thank you for sharing kind of what that response has been. Cause you know, again, as well as I do that, that's the most important is what are those end users experiencing? So thank you for sharing that, Adam. Let's pull the crystal ball out. Going to pull that off the shelf. Let's start looking a little future state. You know, as well as I do, a lot has changed. I mean, last time you and I saw each other in Boston at the health conference in November, even since then, a lot has changed and it's right. going to continue to change. It's changing at a more and more rapid pace. So with that, Adam, grab the crystal ball, 
let's look two to three, three to five years from now. Where is the industry heading? And then, of course, where is the industry heading in regards to this space that we've just been discussing for the past 25 minutes? And do you see opportunities for growth in other areas for syllable? Overall, where are things heading, not just for the industry and what we need to be mindful of, but of course, where syllables going as well? So I think that's a very interesting question. And I think Cobus and Sean think about this similarly. Healthcare is an ecosystem. It's not just hospitals, but you've got hospitals, you've got independent medical practices, you have skilled nursing facilities, you have home health agencies, you have hospices, you have durable medical, you have pharmacy and pharmacy benefit, and you have, um, uh, you have payers and then some. Um, and the kind of automation that we talk about doing it at health systems is only one part of that solution. And I think where visionary people end up when they start to think about this is how do we connect the ecosystem? How do we do it in a way so that the patient no longer suffers the dysfunctionality of the dysfunctional ecosystem? And I think that, you know, it's a, it's a sort of a wooden term to talk about a platform, but I think that where the visionaries in this space go is what are the things that we can do to insulate the end user, the patient from the dysfunctionality and how can we use technology to organize and make functional what is currently dysfunctional. And so I really see that as syllables mission over the long term is so that somebody uh, can go through a care journey. And they can feel like they have their own personal assistant sort of watching their back, making sure that if there's a pothole coming up, that they get steered around the pothole. That if there was an order that was written for somebody to see a gastroenterologist about some abdominal pain that they were having, and they just got too busy with a new baby coming in and taking paternity leave, and they forgot about that, that gastroenterology appointment, that there's somebody in the background, doesn't have to be a human being, certainly could be a computer, pings them on their cell phone and says, hey, Dr. Silverman wanted you to go see the gastroenterologist. I don't see that you have done that, but if you've gone outside of our system to have that done, can you just let me know so that I can mark that order is complete? But if you haven't, let me help you get that appointment. I can help you schedule that now if you'd like me to do it so that people don't fall through the cracks of a particular treatment plan. And then if we go back to our comments about Esther, you can then extend that out to an entire community and help promote the health of the community because now you have an artificial intelligence, you have a computer, you have an assistant, whatever you want to call it, you have an olive who's out there looking on, you know, looking out for your general well-being, can monitor things from remote patient monitoring devices, can monitor things from air quality devices. I mean, you can begin to think in a very expansive way of how we can use technology to promote health without involving human beings to constantly have to be the linchpin of relationship with a particular patient. So as we see it, we see it more of an outbound engagement platform for patients rather than just inbound. We're on the telephone today, as I told you, because that's where patients are. But the power of our technology is that we can turn it around and we can now reach out to patients. So we can integrate with the EHR and we can see, we can open a ticket on every order that gets written and we can put a timer on that ticket and we can remind the patient. And if the patient doesn't respond to the reminder, we can escalate it to a human being and bring a human being into the loop who can then engage the patient and explain to them why it was so important to have this particular order completed. So we look at human beings in the loop as empowering to the computerized loop. But we want, as you said, that human being to work to the top of their license. We want that human being to spend the time with people who need to have the time spent 
and not have to do it with others who are more savvy, more capable, or, you know, just our lower acuity. It's an exciting future. And, and well, you know, as well as I do, it's quickly approaching and some of those uh, pieces are already here, which are very exciting, but this is approaching quicker than I think a lot of people recognize or anticipate, mm-hmm. which I'm a huge fan of. I think this is going to be exciting. I've also heard a mentor a number of years ago say to me, he said, Mike, what we also need to be mindful of in this industry is how do we put all of this technology in the background so we can get to that really sacred relationship again between say a Dr. Silverman and a patient Mike, right? That's where I hope one day we also get where that's just all behind the scenes where we can get back to those sacred moments because we need to get the Dr. Silverman's off of their own screen while together with Mike in person as well. That's a whole nother episode. Of course, we can unpack that, but these are some of the things that are on the horizon that I'm incredibly excited about. So thank you for sharing a little bit of future state where things are heading, but let's bring it back to current state where we are today. And more importantly, Adam, where our community can be helping you. We have an amazing community rallied around this podcast. So would love to ask, how can this community be helping you? What's one problem, need, or question that you and your team have that we can be helping you with? So of all the prep material you sent me, this was the hardest part. I really had to think about this because I had to decide whether we were going to use something that was small and achievable. Because a lot of times, to the point I made when we first get started, you got to get shit done. And if you start too expansively, you just end up having lots of conversations and lots of cocktails. So this is your episode. If you have two, bring it. This is your episode. You use, you use it as you see fit, my friend. So, you know, to me, I'm fond of saying that the status quo in healthcare is meeting a lot of needs. That's why innovation is so difficult. That's why execution is so difficult. Because if the people aren't getting their needs met, then they're going to be open to changing because as human beings, we all respond to incentives. But right now, the incentives, as they are aligned, are meeting the needs of a lot of people. And in my mind, what we need to try to figure out is how do we change the focus of the work that's being done within the healthcare industry from meeting all those individual needs to meeting the needs of patients? So what do I mean by that? So if I think about an article that was in Health Affairs last year, I think it was like February of 2021, they talked about what are the things that can be done to reduce the total cost of care? And they basically said, healthcare is so complicated, there's not one solution. There's not one moonshot that is going to solve the cost conundrum. But there are a series of between half a percent and 1% initiatives that we can participate in that you start to string them together and you begin to get real change. So one of the things that they talked about was surprise medical billing. So if we got rid of surprise medical billing, it would save something shy of 1%, or maybe it was 1.1% in cost. Well, the problem is the private equity companies that have bought a lot of the emergency medicine and anesthesia groups that are providing services to a number of hospitals that were responsible for a lot of those surprise bills that patients got, well, guess what? those private equity CEOs are going to be patients too. And if they're not going to be a patient, then their adult daughter might be a patient who ends up with one of these surprise bills from one of their own companies. So if the private equity investor was more focused on the consumer experience as opposed to just their own bottom lines, I think we would have a better shot at coming together on how do we move forward with an agenda. And I know that sounds somewhat naive, because we all have healthcare companies in our 401k. 
So we all are getting something from this, in, from the inefficiency with the system. But at the end of the day, we're all going to be patients. And so how do we turn the lens, whether it's from an investor or an entrepreneur or our elected officials, so that when we develop regulations that involve healthcare, when we develop strategies around investment, whether as an entrepreneur, we ask a question that's important to solve, how do we make sure that we're focusing it on the right end unit? And to me, the right end unit is the patient. If I'm not answering a question that is directly related to a patient need, then maybe that question needs to be put in a hopper or a queue somewhere. And maybe I need to be encouraged to ask a different question. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It did to me when I thought about it, but... No, it, it absolutely does. I mean, it's this conundrum that I, the visual that I always see in my head when these topics are discussed, Adam, it's the person that has one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat, right? right? right. And that's where we're at, right? And how do we get both feet in the boat? How do we cut that cord and push off into a new horizon? I mean, it's where we're at and we need to keep thinking critically. We need to keep challenging everything, assume nothing. And at the end of the day, as you mentioned, we need to put the consumer right at the center of all of this. So, you know, these are things that we need to be thinking about. Of course, like I said, there's tons and tons of amazing leaders tuning in that I know love to help and think about these problems and would love to connect with you. So in order to do that, they need to be able to find you online, Adam. Where can they find you? Social media handles, websites, or otherwise, where do we connect with you online? Well, I'm on LinkedIn, Adam R. Silverman, M-D-F-A-C-P. You can just do Adam Silverman and syllable and you'll find me. Email is adam at syllable.ai. I am embarrassed to say I don't do Twitter. I no longer do Facebook and I certainly don't do Instagram. Although my wife does all of them, but I'm not going to give you her handles. So email me, find me on LinkedIn or at syllable.ai. And I'm happy to, to enter in discussions with any of your listeners. I'd love it. You didn't say you're not on TikTok. I'm just throwing oh, it out yeah, there, Adam. Sorry. <laughs> no, my kids would not appreciate it if I was on TikTok. Although I think uh, I got good dance moves for TikTok. <laughs> I love it. I am also not on TikTok at all. You don't want me there. That's hilarious. All joking aside, all those contact points can be found in the episode. No, simply scroll down in your favorite podcast player. Click on through to get a hold of Adam and the team over at Syllable. You can also head over to our free global online community at passionatepioneers.com. There will be a post for this episode where you can also leave your thoughts, feedback, comments, or otherwise for Adam and the team, again, over at passionatepioneers.com. Well, Adam, this has been an absolute joy. I've been loving the time together. We're almost out of here, but before we uh, sign off, I have a fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because? I'm a passionate pioneer because we all are or will be patients. Absolutely. Way to bring it all together on the back end there. And that is so incredibly important. So thank you for sharing that. Adam, again, such a joy to be together on the podcast here. Thank you for taking the time to meet up. I've been waiting for quite some time for us to get together on the show. So thank you. I look forward to continuing to following your journey. You guys are doing wonderful work. Please tell the whole team I said hello. But for now, again, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. 
We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode. 